Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Gary Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf. Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Matt Jones gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. We've got a new leader, kids. Here it is. Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 55. Great to have you with us on what's been a, an extraordinary week on and off the course. Andy Ma here alongside Mark Hayes who has spent far too much time in my presence this week for your liking, <laughs> Hazy. Lovely to see you again. Uh, pleasure to be with you, Murray, and it hasn't been like that at all. I've uh, Under better circumstances, maybe, would have been nice, but uh, that aside, um, it's been a pleasure to be with you. We'll explain more about the whys and wherefores in a moment. Mike Clayton, it's been long overdue. You've been away for far too long, Clates. Welcome no, back to the show. Long. Thank you, Andy. Looking forward to it. There's a bit to talk about, and I know that you and Hazy have both got a couple of things that you're reasonably hot under the collar about which we'll get to in the opening segment. But um, we have spent a lot of time together the last 36 to 48 hours. And yesterday on the radio station that you're listening to now, if you're listening to it as a radio show on the Saturday morning or as a podcast, you may not know about 1116 SEN, which is a sports radio station. But yesterday it was a day dedicated to Jared Lyle and his family. Um, and it was all about raising some money for the Lyle girls and giving the big fella a bit of a peace of mind and, as we sit here now recording at quarter past three on Monday, oh, sorry, Tuesday afternoon, $215,000 plus is in the bank going into a trust fund for yeah, that's a, Jared's family. That's a good start. It's pretty good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So. If golf couldn't raise a million bucks between now and February next year, I'd give up. It will. Because it's got no excuse not to raise that yeah. amount of money for, for him, given that He's never been able to have life insurance, as I understand. So he doesn't have any, you know, the money's, he hasn't earned money for a long time. And, you know, that's the game's job is to look after people like that. And the game's job to put its hand in its pocket and raise the sort of money that his family will need. So it's a great start. Well done. I was really moved yesterday, Andy, when we were sitting here and taking calls and texts and things. Um, and the donation level was just off the charts. I, you know, I never ceases to amaze me how generous people are when confronted by something that's dangerous and real like that. Um, I'm not so sure. And I really, I don't want to go off my tree about it, but I'll be interested in Clayton's thoughts. You know, he just mentioned that we, you know, the golf community could and would and should and probably will get to a million dollars by X date. Clates, um, one of the people who came on willingly yesterday was um, Justin Thomas, mm. who, who we'll talk about more in a minute. I think he must have pocketed $1.8 million for his win in Ohio. What are your thoughts about where that could go? Do you think it's unrealistic to expect an American player to put their hand in their pocket? Well, I think it's always difficult to criticise what people do when it comes to handing their own money out. But I know you can't eat yellow ribbons, so you can wear them, but they're not much use to anybody. So you, you know, it's, it's up to individual players what they do. But I know we're trying to arrange a little exhibition match early next year. And, you know, Sue O and Jeff Ogilvy and a couple of other, like one second they're back. Yep, I'm in. Yeah. So that's the sort of enthusiasm you need and, uh, you know, the willingness to give your time and just not that it's any skin off their nose, but, you know, no hesitation. Yep, we'll do that for sure. And so I think there are lots of things that game can do to raise money. And, you know, if... You know, if someone wins one point eight million dollars, someone who's who doesn't need it, any of it, then you would like to think that a million dollars is not that far away for Jared and his family. And I've just finished writing a piece. It'll be up by the time people are listening to this on the website, and it's all about what you started off with there, the generosity of spirit and the and the small ray of good news that's come out of this very bleak situation. Um, but I also give a little clip to the player managers because yesterday when we did have access to all these players out of the goodness of their heart, they were up for it. You know, mm. and you know, not hundred percent right, yep. as you well know, and other people, not just golfers, were ringing in. Famous people ringing in, offering their time and 
things to uh, bid for and an auction, all that sort of stuff. Um, player managers have a lot to answer for in these instances. Like it, it highlights to me that they are uh, obstructionist in so many other ways. So maybe that's a rant for another day because we've got another few. Oh, we- no, I think it's a really good point you raise. And just before we get too far away from that, we, we need to just publicly thank Ben Everill, who was over in the clubhouse uh, yesterday um, and was just sticking the phone in front of whoever we asked for, really. And he got you know Tiger to uh, record a message that was exclusive for you know Jared's day. So... Um, Benny, thanks for you know putting in the way you did. It, the, you know the manager thing is is fascinating. You'll know this, Mike. These people are great characters, and they're good. A lot of them aren't, mm. but some of them are, and they've got good stories to tell, and they tell a story well. And they would actually take the game to more people if the managers allowed them to be heard. But they want they won't do anything without the manager getting their clip. So they won't put their, they won't do anything unless their hands out. And if it's not getting greased the right way, then they they just say, no, it's, um, it's, it defeats a part of the game. Yeah. I wonder if you can extrapolate it out as an American thing where the Trump thing, where there's such a distrust and almost hate of the media. And it's almost as though the players and the managers themselves treat the media with contempt and that you know they, you know they just think they're going to distort what players say and, and they're out for a scoop and a story yep. and throwing players under the bus when you know a huge part of the game in the old days you see those famous pictures of Hogan and Nicholas and players you know standing around a bunch of press guys in the locker room just talking golf and Perfect. guys are right because they were golf reporters reporting on golf and you know the, the, the British tabloids were dreadful they would drag out a you know a scandal story on the Monday of the British Open every year and you know, players have lost their trust of you know, the outside, you know, the, the media that's not golf media. Mm. Whereas 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when I was playing and before that, the, the, the golf, the media was the golf media and the players knew the writers and they knew they could trust the writers. But now there's this, you know, there's just a singular lack of trust in the media and, and, and the proper writers get killed because of that. Well, you would have seen that change in your time, Hazy, is it like it was writing for a news limited you know, publication in Australia. I mean, you're not that type of journalist at all. You wouldn't. You would. You'd have to be hauled over, you know, burning coals to produce anything that would resemble pure clickbait. You've always got the sport and yeah. the sports people at heart. Um, but unfortunately, the world's changed in terms of what the media thinks people want from it, and that's why we get the sort of coverage of. The participants, Mike, the way we do across all sports and you know, beyond sport, it happens everywhere these days. There's been a couple of amazing stories, um, like, and I mean amazing, amazingly bad. For example, I'm just trying to think of one. Oh, I know, a really good example is that Steve Smith having a beer in a New York bar a few weeks ago, which masqueraded as a story on, on News Limited websites which was roundly howled down as an absolute disgrace. And I'll throw my voice into that too. I agree wholeheartedly. But the sad thing was, Andy, that it clicked, the clickbait yeah. nature of it, everyone clicked on it. So the people who made the decision about it were, were justified in their minds for running the story. Exactly. So they like. just continue to put that sort of crap up. And I, I, I want to say much worse words, but you know that's the society we live in. Unfortunately, if Tiger shoots a 57, it won't get as many clicks as if he... Dates 57 women. Exactly. No, no, they're emboldened by it. Um, so thank you to everybody who contributed to finish the starting point on a positive as opposed to a negative. <laughs> uh, it was a great day here yesterday, Monday, really positive out of what's been a really, you know, sad, overwhelmingly sad story. Um, and so that's a really good thing. To the golf, um, before you two get wound up about a couple of other things, uh it wasn't necessarily the 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 cluster of players all vying for the women's British Open at the end that we saw at Leland and St Anne's, but it was an unbelievable last day in terms of head to head. We saw two clear out. Uh, thankfully, unfortunately, the one that prevailed was Georgia Hall. For those who were talking through our kick, but um, it oh, was I a, you were talking about pronunciation of. But then again, she's not Japanese, so you probably no. I mean, all sorts of trouble, but but um, Pornanong Platinum, Platinum. So she's a good player. She's, she's a really good player. She's really good. Who just done? It looked like it just got a bit. She made a couple of 
uncharacteristic errors down the last kind of four or five holes, found a few pots, um, and just when she couldn't afford to sort of lose her laser straightness with the driver, she did, and it cost her, whereas the 22-year-old British girl, she's made of the right stuff. I think the Americans, Clates, you'll love this, call her a gamer. She's, she stands up okay under the heat. Yeah, she won the Vic Open a couple mm, years ago. Good she, player. I was to play that this year. She plays well. I didn't. At fairness, I didn't think. When it, clearly, the obvious winner came from, was going to come from the group ahead. Yeah, Song Yong Park and So Young Yu, who completely made a mess. So Young made a triple at the third hole third, and yep. came back and shot yeah. seventy in the end. Had a terrific round in the end, and Park then went double double at four and five. I think. Yeah, that's right. So they blew themselves out. You know, it was a two-horse race, 15 holes in the end, really. But, uh, Andy, we've got to give you a fair wrap here. We, you we, give, you, we give you enough clips. So it was a very nice prediction Thank from you, you to, to land a what, 60-odd dollar winner. 67 to 1 she was. But we can't – I have to put on the record that there's no betting because Golf Australia staff can't bet. So. Well, fortunately, I'm not on staff. <laughs> That's my rider. What it did show was <laughs> – and it'll all go to the Lyle Foundation, of course. So The last four weeks, Scottish Open at both Scottish Opens at Garland, men's and women's, Carnoustie and Litham. How much more interesting golf on the fast-bouncing lynxes than <laughs> the, the rubbish we saw at Firestone. I, mean, just, boy, yeah, I yeah. couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, we sort of banged on about this a little bit. American golf at the moment, I'm finding, it, despite all the really high-quality players, I found it a hard grind to stay engaged with tournaments this year. I'm just finding it hard to watch them. It, it's so bland. Like they just—they're all playing the same shots. Mm. They're all, it's just whoever makes the most putts in any given week generally wins the tournament. It's—it's yeah. it's hard to watch. Nicholas used to say about Firestone, "Well, it's a boring course. It's just all drives and fairway woods and long irons." Approach shots, fairway woods and long mm. lines. Now it's just all turned, it's, it's wedges. Yeah. You know, these guys have got 100 yards in the 18th green. I mean, it's just, so it's not only is it a boring golf course, it's they're hitting boring short iron shots into the greens because the ball goes so far that it's exacerbated. You know, you know, it's just a horribly watching. miserable, boring form of the game. Oh. And <laughs> oh, they great. seriously they actually need to do something about it. Otherwise, why would you watch it? No. I mean, how much more fun? was watching oh, yeah. Molinari do it here at Carnoustie. It's fascinating watching the ball bounce and interesting golf courses. And you go and watch that soft mush with driver wedge on every hole. It's like, no, I'm just not interested oh, anymore. I, 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 Zero I, interest. Oh, and exactly, I agree. I agree. And that, that is exacerbated by what we've been watching for a month. When you get it, and like I was way more interested in watching the, the Women's British Open than I was watching the WGC. Oh, yeah. Probably my thoughts on... Those United States Golf Championship Which, events are well documented, but um, you know, the the entertainment value of Lynx Golf is infinitely greater. So, you know, if that's what we base our judgments on, then clearly that's a winner. So, tidying up, Georgia Hall wins by a couple. Uh, Minji Lee, she like the other two that you mentioned, shot herself in the foot in the last round, just couldn't get out of her own way. Seventy five. Suo, from a really um, encouraging perspective, leapfrogged a heap of players on the last day with a 68 to finish in a tie for 15th. Six, really, six back nine birdies. Six that'll, make you right, a, yeah. that'll make you a lot of money. Yeah, so, you know, they're there, aren't they? We, we've got a lot of um, contending to be enjoyed from those two young ladies for a long time to come. Yeah, Sue was good except she had 80 the third round at, Gullen, she's 69, 66 to start. So she had one horrible round over there in eight, but she played well. Yeah, mm. she's, she's getting better. She's a, remember Dale Lynch said to me about, everyone was talking about Jeff Ogilvie when Jeff was such a good player and he hadn't won anything. And then she said, you're right, he hasn't won anything, but when he does, it's going to be something really big. <laughs> Feeling good I, prediction? She's a, she's a little bit the same, I think. So yeah. she's just slowly yeah. learning her, her trade and learning the life and, um, interestingly, she came home after the L, the, May, the LPGA. The she came home for three weeks, which is women's PGA. Last couple she... of years, she spent eight months away, and which is what we all did. Went to Europe for in March and came back in October, and by September we were completely headless. We just had enough, and so 
coming home is good, I think. And yeah. So, yeah, she's getting better. She's yeah. going well. And nice to see Hannah Green make the cut. And, and also, um, Beck, oh, Artis, yeah. Beck Artis, we have to make, make mention of her. She's her ninth major championship uh, and her first cut. Oh, eighth, I should say. Her sixth British Open and her eighth overall and made her first cut. And so... Had a couple of issues, particularly on the Sunday, but um, you know, full credit to her. That's a big step, and I'm sure next time she makes a cut on the Saturday, she'll stand on the tee much more comfortable. Clates, can you? You're a man of influence. So are you, Hazy. Can you two please pledge to us here on Inside the Ropes that you do something about? And I, I believe the rules are changing anyway. They are changing. I'm thank God. Lining the players oh, up. Oh, mate. Th- thank God the lawmakers have done yeah, something about pathetic. this. Yeah. It's, again, it's something they should have jumped on when, it, again, like the green reading books. Like the size of the head of the driver, the long putter, the ball going too far, putting a line on line the players ball. up, putting a line on the ball. It's all stuff that should have been jumped. That should have, they all should have been drowned at birth. <laughs> and they've let them, they've let it all go on too long. So when they ban it, it becomes controversial. The first time someone stood behind a player, line them up. Nah, stop. What are you doing? Get rid of that. It's cheating. What was your rider clates on your caddying career for Sue? Uh, <laughs> I said, yeah, I said, I'll caddy for you. One condition, I never have to line you up. And she said, I don't do any of that stuff, so you don't have to worry about that. Hey, Georgia Hall yeah. didn't get her old man standing yeah, behind her, not for one shot in the final round. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Lydia's the, I don't want to say the worst offender, but she, if I was her, I'd be stopping it now because you've got to stop it next year. What do you, what do you, you know, just get away from it. You can't oh. do it next year. Ban it now. Oh, there's, look, there's a, we could continue. Sorry, not, sorry, not ban it now, but play yourself into playing golf without yeah. having to rely on it until the 31st of December. I mean, is that getting used to it? She didn't have that when she was winning amateur titles around the world as a kid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just truly pathetic. Well, thank God it's going to be, um, it's going to be six feet under before we know it. So thankfully, sooner rather than later, we won't be seeing that anymore. I know, Hazy, you're fired up about, um, you're fired up about golf timing, got the schedule of a couple of certain events, and I know Clates are going to jump on the back of it. I think you've got some things to say about the course that they're playing the PGA Championship on this week. So we'll look forward to getting stuck into all of that a little bit later on the show. We have to clear a break here on Inside the Ropes. When we come back, uh, it was the Fiji International played at Natadola Bay uh, last weekend. I do leave the N out of Natadola Bay. I'm absolutely certain I do that. Or is it a... No, it doesn't. It, it's There's spelled, no end, it's but spelled you say, Natadola, but you've got to say Natanola, Natanola just Bay. like Nandy. That's exactly right. Dave Michaluzzi, young player who you've been talking about for quite some time on this show, um, played alongside the big draw card for the first couple of days of the championship. He's going to join us to tell us about that experience and a whole lot of other stuff on the other side of this. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. This is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program near you, Visit swingfit.com.au. G'day guys, it's Brian Russell here, and I'm a long way from home, playing on the Latin America tour and living in the US, but I keep up with all my Australian golf by listening Inside the Ropes. Welcome back to the show, it is Inside the Ropes, uh, a lot more to come, but um, Hazy, you've been banging on about this Dave Michaluzzi, in fact he needs to take out a restraining order on you at some stage, <laughs> it's been a bit disturbing how much you've been talking about him, and he was one of the uh, feature acts the first couple of rounds uh, at Natandola Bay in Fiji for the Fiji International. I'm sure he would have liked to have been uh, one of the main acts for Saturday and Sunday as well. It wasn't to be. It will be the case down the track. We've got no doubt about it. Um, and the young fellow's been good enough to join us all the way from New York City. Dave Michaluzzi, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, let, all right, let's give us the details. It's uh, 20 to 4 in the, uh, 20 to 4 in the afternoon. As we speak to you, what time is it where you are and where exactly are you? Um, I'm in New York City and it is 1.40 a.m. And, and what are you doing over there? Um, just checking out New York. I've got a few days off until US Amateur, which starts uh, on Monday. So thought I've never been here before, so I'll, I'll come around. And my girlfriend's here as well, so we're looking... Um, Looking in New South, um, New South Wales, New York City, and yeah, having a blast. 
Now, before we start talking to you about the real stuff, you know, most people have to do yep. the hard yards getting to New York City, Dave. Like, you just roll onto a plane yep. the other day from Fiji. Tell us what happened oh. and try not to make all our listeners sick. Yeah, okay. So, I, well, I flew from Fiji to LA and I was just minding my own business. So, when I'm, so I, got my, my, I got onto my flight from LA to New York and went to my seat and my seat was taken. I was like, oh, what, what's going on here? And so I said to the lady, oh, um, are you in 12C? Which was what I said on my ticket. And she's just like, no, I'm not. But um, uh, I'm flying to New York with my husband and he's leaving me for six months. He's doing some work over here. So I'm with him and I'm flying back. But um, you can take my, my seat. I'm like, okay, where's that? Uh, it's in 6A, business class. Oh. <laughs> um, are, you, are you serious? And she's just, she's like, yeah, yeah, go for it, go for it. So... <laughs> I basically had a bed for six hours, which was great. This is a Michelozzi special, Mario. I tell you, this happened to him all the time. Oh, it's he's unbelievable! One he's one of the great characters in the, in the world of golf. He's going to be anyhow. Mickey, let's talk about what happened in uh-huh. Fiji. Um, you yep. knew you knew about this. You broke into the top ten in the world amateur rankings, and you knew this was happening. And a very generous gesture from the PGA a, to give you a start at Natandola Bay, but B, they've they've really just did did you a treat by getting you paired up with not only Lucas Herbert, but uh, also the great Big Easy, Ernie Els. What was that like? Yeah. Um, it was, I couldn't really believe it for, well, when they told me, I couldn't believe it for you know, the first 10 minutes until I actually got to meet him and we actually spoke for about five minutes. And just when we're having a chat, I was just in the back of my mind, I'm just going, oh my God, I'm actually playing with this guy. <laughs> like, this is a guy that I've actually watched on TV and, on oh, wow, like how good is this guy? And now I'm actually getting to play two rounds of golf with him. And oh, it's just unbelievable. I can't thank everyone enough that actually that actually put me in this position. It's just it was just an awesome experience. What do you take away from it, Dave? Um, just he he said like, like he said he said I've got a great golf swing. Um, like got a great temperament on the golf course, and like you can if you just keep working harder, you can easily be where I am or even better. So, um, yeah, it was great to hear, hearing that from a major champion or four-time, four-time major champion. And the one thing I took away, and actually Herbie um, told me about this probably on our fourth or fifth hole, he said, just watch his ball flight. It doesn't change. And it took me about a couple of holes to actually realise what he meant. So his ball flight does not change into the wind, downwind or no wind. It's the exact same. So I actually took a lot from that. I'm actually just working on ball flight, and I asked. I actually asked Ernie Els um, probably three holes ago on Friday, um, "Have you always hit that ball flight?" And he said, "Yeah, I try and keep the trajectory as as really simple as possible, with downwind into the wind. No matter, it's always going to be the same. So that's probably the biggest thing I took away, and just just the confidence of a major champion saying, if you keep working hard at it, you can easily be as good as me, which is which is great." So, what do you reckon? Five, six major championships for you now. Um, I want to try and beat Jack Nicholas. Good, that's good work, mate. Uh, yeah. So it yeah. starts for you yeah. in, in earnest again. Starts next week at the US Amateur, which I know you're excited about. But not only that, mate. You've you've uh, your names come up in a couple of really big teams for Australia and yourself. Um, the Eisenhower Trophy yeah. at the end of the month or the start of September. And then something that you've, I know you've been focused on for a very long time, which is the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship in Singapore. This is all your dreams coming true here in a real big hurry. Yeah, it's, it's, all, it's all flooding in. I've like, like really played well from probably November, I can actually say from October last year till, till now, just like all the hard work's really paying off and it's, it's unbelievable some of the like some of the teams I'm getting in, like Eisenhower Cup, well, that really wasn't on my radar uh, probably a year ago. And once I started playing pretty well through, like, Master Amateurs and then Aussie Amateur, I actually, I actually thought I had a really great chance. And just every tournament everyone else is playing in, I just try and just give it that little bit extra, even though I'm, 
like redlining it the whole time, just giving out a little bit extra and just giving everything I've got, and it's really paid off. So, and to be in the Asian Amateur team, I've been number seven the last two years, so it's been been tough. But now, being in the team, it's uh, it's just sweet. So when and when you say number seven, that I assume that people realise that six make it. So you know you have missed out, been right in the fringe. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you one question about another thing you did this this year, which was lead Victoria to the interstate title. Because for years, Victoria's had good players, and you haven't you've been one of them, but you haven't been the one that they've relied on this year. With the utmost pressure on you, yeah. you brought the team home, and I'd like to know what's changed mentally for you that you can bear up to that pressure. Um, just look, looking back, say, when do we start a good run? 2014, I was in that team. So 2015, uh, we arguably the best team that's probably ever played the Interstate Series with, I think, Ryan, Lucas, Brett, Eccles, um, who else was there? Fraser, Tommy Calhoun, myself, and Sconnels. We, I don't think they were the better team than that. I don't think Victoria's ever had one like that before and we just killed it that week. But 2017, Cam hit, uh, made birdie up the last to win a Interstate Series and I always thought, like, I wish it was, like, one like one moment that it could be up to me and fortunately this year it happened. So because I thought of that, I knew what to do and because I've practiced, I've practiced so much under pressure and I've been, I've been up there in so many events that the pressure wasn't really there. So we were standing on 15th tee, uh, part three, and Marty comes over and he's smiling, so I'm thinking, oh, we've got this, we've got this. And he comes over and he's just like, we need your match. I'm like, that's fine. And I was so calm those last four holes and actually surprised him a bit. So just knowing that I wanted, like, I actually really wanted to be, like, the last match to determine the Interstate Series and then actually having it, I think just the, just the law of attraction actually made that a little bit better and it made it a bit more comfortable for me. Did, did it, for those who... Sorry, Dave, for those who don't know, did it go to 18? Yes, it went to 18. Yes. And, and tell, us what ha- tell us what happened. Um, oh, okay. okay, so 18, part five, Shay, well, I had the honour first, so I hit uh, my one iron down there. I've got a two on, I've bent it to a one iron, so... The viewers thinking, well, why has he got a one iron? I, I just like it in the wind a little bit. So I hit that off the tee and it, I just absolutely smoked it with adrenaline up and all that. And then Shay hit driver down there. We're two metres away from each other. He he puts his down uh, probably about 120 out and I put mine down probably 110 metres out and he's airmailed the green for his third and I've put mine turn of the green. He's chipped up to about six feet, five feet and I've I've got like a 30-footer. I hit it probably maybe three foot short. And unfortunately, he missed the finish. Didn't mean I could hold the putt to win the Interstate Series, but uh, these things happen. And it was a quality match against Manchester. I think we've played each other three times and they've always been real quality, which is great. That's Shea Wolfskob of Queensland mm. for those listening and, and yeah. uh, part of your team for the Eisenhower Trophy too. So it's going to be yourself and yeah. Min Wu and Shay. It's going to be a, a fearful combination, I think. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see oh. what pressure is on you guys when you are carrying the tag of defending champion, even though it's a completely different uh, set of blokes. Yeah. Oh, I think we've all got the game. I think we're all playing very well. Min, Min had a very good week last week at Western. Um, Shay's been also playing very well and like I, all I can do is just trust my game, and I know I've, I have been like the last two tournaments haven't been shown that I've posted the results, but I feel like everything's heading in the direction that I want it to, and yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we did win. I love it. I love it. Have you? How far down the road have you got it all mapped out, David? In terms of you know um, further ambitions, amateur-wise, do do you need to see much more from yourself as a player before? you feel like you're ready to compete professionally or is that still, you know, a fair way down the track for you? What, how are you assessing your own kind of timeline? Well, I've always wanted to turn pro in end of 2019. That's just, I think, just five years in the BIS program, um, playing, I think, three or four times overseas, playing all the big events. And I think 
like this year I've been playing very well and a few things have opened up and it, it could be easier for me to turn pro into this year but I'm still still like wanting to turn pro into 2019 because I, I still think there's a lot of stuff to be done in amateur golf even though like you're never you're never ready to turn pro I've heard from pros that have told me so um, I just want to be one of the one of the best amateurs in the world to go and turn pro so I can I feel like that can it can kind of help me if I can play really well in the amateur events that can try and get me into say PGA Tour events or European Tour events or Australasian events it doesn't really matter but I feel if I play well in the next year and a half that it, it could be it could be easier for me to turn pro. Clayton, I would imagine that would be music to your ears to hear Dave talk about amateur amateur ranks and also Europe as well. Well, for every guy who's turned, uh, Dave, I I think for every guy who's turned pro too late, there've been twenty who've turned pro too early. So that would be the first thing. But um, yeah, Europe's great to play. Amateur golf's actually a terrific thing to do. There are so many kids who are eager to get away from amateur golf and turn pro, and they do it too early when they're not ready. And I I think that Seve always said that he turned pro at 17. He said, but it cost me a lot of years at the end of my career because you you kind of have this window where you, where, where you, you play well before you wear yourself out. And there's a connection with the, the PGA this week at Bell Reef, Kel Nagel lost a playoff there in 1965 when he was 45 years old. Yeah. The third major he ever played was the Open Championship. He won at St. Andrews in 1960. He was 40. So his career started at 40. Yeah. So, you know, when you, if you're 19 or 20 or 21, I mean, you just, I think the longer you wait, the better sometimes. Yeah. 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 I, so, I highly agree. And, and also looking looking back at last week, so I had so many ups and downs. Obviously, you've heard you've heard about my clubs not come, not coming till Tuesday night or late Tuesday night, so I couldn't have the practice rounds I needed, and actually had to learn a bit about trying to get the bags to the place. I know I had a bit of help from um, PGA Australia to try and get that back, but that's never really happened to me before, and I'm glad that's happened at a big event and just the experience to actually do that and go through that is, is really good. I think I actually got quite a bit out of, out of that. Actually lose my, actually lose my bag from San Fran to Fiji, which is, which is quite funny. <laughs> always something going on with you, mate. It's always interesting to talk to you. That's for sure. And I'll tell you one thing. Uh, we, uh, we're we very yeah. grateful you picked up the phone to us in New York City, but we really hopefully can talk to you in a couple of weeks' time from Pebble Beach when you uh, throw that US amateur trophy up over your shoulders. That would be fantastic, or at least one of your teammates. Oh, yeah, that will be great. <laughs> that will be really good. <laughs> we're all barracking for you, mate. Uh, it's going to be fun by the sounds of things, um, watching you do what you're going to do with a golf club in your hand. Uh, thanks for taking the call. Hopefully the jet lag wears off pretty soon. And, um, you know, you've outlined what's in front of you in the next, you know, couple of weeks and beyond. We wish you all the very best with every single bit of it, Dave. Thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you very much, boys. Much appreciated. Good on you, David. Michaluzzi joining us on Inside the Ropes. There's a lot more to come. We'll get a break out of the way. Come back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. MyGolf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Hey, it's Jeff Ogilvy. I can't be in Australia very often, but I love keeping up with everything on Inside the Rope podcast. Good bunch of guys, and I love listening. Welcome back to the show. Great to hear from Dave Michaluzzi. Uh, he's got a personality, and Massive. he's got character, and he's going to clearly play the game of golf. He has, and, and he's really come a long way. Um, hearing him talk about those Victorian teams, he was a... You know, on the outside looking in, and he was a seven or six player. Then he was a three player, and 
now he's a one and it shows the improvement in his game, but also mentally. And I think, you know, to come up through those ranks like that is an important stage of his development. I love what you said to him, Clates, about, you know, not rushing into it. I think, um, you know, there's a lot of doors can shut quickly if you turn pro too early. Um, we And we've got quite a few examples of that uh, that we can point to in the last five or 10 years. So, Yeah, it would be an interesting study of guys who, where are they now? Yeah. You know, it was easier when we played. It was easier to get on a tour and you could just go and play on Monday in Europe and if you made the qualifying, you got in the tournament and if you made the cut, you got in the next week and you could get yourself established pretty quickly if you're a decent player, but it's more difficult now. It's much harder. It to... did turn your way when you were saying this is the best Victorian team that was ever, <laughs> had ever been assembled. <laughs> I was wondering whether in that brain of yours you had a team from... Yeah, from nineteen in the nineteen sixty eight Victoria yeah, State like team. Yeah, Bob Shearer and Stuart Ginn and yeah, Bill Britton mu- and there must Don Reader, there were Kevin Hartley. There were a few good players back <laughs> I then. Gonna, <laughs> I was going to say yeah. there would have been a team that Dave Nicholas he wouldn't be was waiting to be born thirty yeah. years before. <laughs> yeah. There was one of those teams that might have been assembled. Yeah. Um, we should we should reference um, another recently turned pro who we've had on the show before, Anthony Quayle. Great for him. Yeah. Um, Quayle, who's just a ripping bloke, as listeners to the podcast will already know. Um, well, I was going to say he came within a, a scoring error of actually being in the playoff in the Fiji International because he was from nowhere. He was four under when he started his final round. And for the majority of it, watching on PGA TV or Fox Sports, whichever was your poison, um, he finished with a 62 because he had a, um, a birdie on the ninth they attributed to him. And it turned out later when he signed his card that it was actually a par. Still, 63 in the final round against, and he's paired with Ernie Els, would you believe? Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah. Ernie shot a 65 and he's lit him up. So how good's that from a young bloke? Um, extraordinarily, two back nine eagles, Andy. Um, and you thought he was two in front when he when he held his putt on the 17th. It turned out he was only one in front. And then uh, Ganganjeet Buller, your mate, yeah. uh, chips in for an eagle there to eventually get one in front. Did so what he had to do. Um, so, but so, a, a fantastic end to the tournament. Really riveting golf the last hour it, or so. It really was. And, and you can say what you like about the golf course. It, it, it does look good on telly. I know that's of probably no <laughs> concern to you at all. But it comes up beautiful. On t- from a TV yeah, it looks visual, terrific. it looks like a brilliant play. And I, yeah. I've actually played there. What's it like? Is it a good course? It's, bru- oh, it's, it's crazy. Like it's, it's a terrible, it's a bad walk, isn't it? Isn't oh, it like yeah, a crazy walk on the front well, line? And... It. It's, it's impossible. There's, yeah. there's a walk from uh, the par five, I can't remember, the six, I think it is. It's about a 400-meter drop from the tee to the fairway. And it, it's a winding, snaking cart path. There's no mm. direct walk. So if you're walking or carrying your, your bags... You have to walk down the car park. It takes, from the moment you hit your drive, if you start walking immediately, it's about a seven-minute walk before you get grass under your feet again. <laughs> um, so, And uh, it's one of those courses. If you hit it off the fairway, you're dead. Yeah. You know, you, you, you're literally dead. But um, but it's fun. Like it's you know, When you get on the cold yeah, coast side of the It looks beautiful. Course, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Golf course, you know, like in terms of the vista. Um, I'm not sure what you think of it as a layout and a pure... Test of the game. Never, never seen it, but I, I t- one thing, it looks like it, every time I turn the TV, it looks like it's blowing about 40 <laughs> oh, miles an hour. It blows. It blows. So before you, you mentioned the winner, and yeah. you mentioned Ernie shooting six. It says a fair, fair bit about Ernie Hills, doesn't it? I mean, he's in, the, he's in the twilight stage of his professional golfing career. He turns up and shoots 73-70 or whatever he shoots in the first round. Can't, not really contending but then shoots a couple of 60s and mid-60s in the third and fourth rounds. Says a fair bit about the bloke. He knows that, you know, he's a draw card. There's people turning up to watch him play. TV audience tuning in to have a look at him. And he doesn't gas it. Like, he fights right to the very end, does Els, finishes two shots away from winning the thing. It says, says a fair bit about Ernie Els that he dug in for the fight the way he did on the weekend. Yeah, it's surprising he hasn't played as well as Mickelson has late in his four, in, in his. Mid forties, he's a man, good, long, slow, great rhythm, golf swing. I mean, it should, there's no reason why he, he's pretty dodgy with the putter, isn't he? Since, you know, the, yeah, he's had some what little I see of Ernie play these days, he looks like he's a bit yippy with the putter. Mm-hmm. But he, he putted obviously pretty well last week. Yeah, he actually like sixty five was nearly the worst he could have had in that last day because he did miss a couple. But you know, it, he's not his heyday. He'd be the first to tell you, but. Uh, I fully admire him. And I reckon, as much as we already know him, I reckon we're going to come to know him a lot more in the lead-up to the President's Cup yeah, because, know you know, that, yeah. he's going to be he's he's going to try and put this thing back on the okay. map for us. So, go. 
Go. We're looking yeah. forward to a couple of big events down here in the yeah. in the coming in the coming months and years. <sighs> I'm gonna steal on. myself for this, Andy. I've been, I've been uh, people have been chipping me about this on Twitter for a few days since Tiger Woods and the aforementioned Phil Mickelson um, agreed to compete in this Mickey Mouse ten million dollar thing in Las Vegas in November, and lo and behold, it's the weekend of the World Cup. So here we are, the two guys who clearly won't be representing the United States um, are going to play an event that butchers an event that the PGA Tour, the US PGA Tour, is proudly running in Australia. Okay, so I'm annoyed with that a lot. But then I learn, much to my just absolute disgust, I'm, I'm, I'm headless about this, Andy, <laughs> that the following year, in the President's Cup year, um, with the mid-December date for the President's Cup um, at Royal Melbourne, Tiger and his mob are going to play their Bahamas event. And I've just yeah. learned this, so it's probably news to a few people, but they're going to play the Bahamas event for nothing at on the previous week. So the weekend before the President's Cup, uh, the 16 of the best players in the world will be mincing around the Bahamas in a no-cut event for TV so they don't have to leave you know, North yep. America. Yep. Now, I mean, here we are. We've got two chances in the next two years to put Australian golf on the map. We know that both the Australian Open and the PGA and the Perth Super Six and the men's side of things don't get the their due rewards in terms of coverage and, and everything around the world. And here we are. We've got Tiger Woods. He's not single-handedly because there's a lot of other factors involved, but he's butchering our tournaments. He's butchering our tournaments. I love Tiger. I can't wait to have him down here. But seriously, mate, seriously, there's 49 weeks of the year when the USPGA Tour has an event on. And you pick one of the three when they're not on and you put it against what could be the Australian Open or the Australian PGA Championship. Yeah, yeah. Give us a bloody spell. Seriously, it's it's bullshit and I'm sorry to use these terms it is bullshit that Australia gets shafted like this at every drop of the hat on the world golfing calendar sick and tired of it and I don't even know it's it's hurting the president's cup it's hurting the Australian Open or PGA whichever's there it's hurting the world cup the year before and for what no for nothing for absolutely no. nothing other than to line the pockets of the people who need it almost least in the entire world of professional sport so well, Without swearing and getting my voice up, that's about as much as I can say. No, beautifully said, Clates. Why doesn't someone stop this? Why, why doesn't someone who, who the, the people that are charged with growing the game and governing the game, who should have some sense of what matters in the game of golf globally, why don't they stop this? Why don't they say to these players who are um, there's no restraint of trade issues? I'm sure, or perhaps there are, but. Why don't they say to these members of their associations, no, boys, no, no, you're not playing this thing. It's not, we're not having it. Well, because they don't care, largely. Peter Thompson. Have you been reading a book? Life in Golf, published by Jeff Slattery. This is Peter Thompson in November the 23rd, 2004. So probably the week of the Australian Open at Moon Links, I would have thought. Sporting championships that endure to be 100 years old should be held sacrosanct protected in appropriate ways by their own particular sporting bodies and not thrown to the walls of commercialism by allowing the game's top players to be lured away by the smell of easy money. To schedule a particularly farcical form of golf such as a skins game against the Australian Open Championship in its centenary year is a sorry indictment of the world's golfing scheduling. The US tours should be more sympathetic to the world's real golf fans. So that was man, written 14 years ago. Time. Yeah. Yeah. And... You know, this is, to give this book a plug, one of the best golf books ever written, I think. And, you know, Peter was he was the wisest bloke who's ever written and played the game. He and Bobby Jones, probably. And there he is saying exactly what you're saying. It you know, more eloquently. And, sorry, and, sorry, and, Tomo. And, and Peter always stood up for Australian golf and what was best for Australian golf. And, you know, he, called, he was right when he called a the payment of appearance money demeaning and you know, I mean he, he would he had another line didn't he Clay? he did have a about this farcical Mickelson yeah we talk, we talk that, that one there was almost in reference to the one that 
the hero event in Bahamas, but almost in direct reference to the Skins game in Las Vegas this year. He said, Skins is a form of amateur golf gambling turned professional pot scrambling. It's an an inconsequential form of televised golf that tickles those who crave instant gratification like Wheel of Fortune and other quiz shows. Players are asked to throw caution to the wind and go all out for entertainment instead of grinding at their trade. The form bears little resemblance to the real thing. The best news that will ever come of it is for some future champion to turn his back on such appearance as beneath his or her dignity. And that's what Mickelson Mickelson and Woods, it's beneath their dignity to play play for... If they donated their $10 million to Jared Lowell, fair play. But the money means nothing to them. Whoever wins, it means nothing. It's a it's in Vegas. It's a just a it's it's like two aging boxing champions putting on some pathetic fight for the entertainment of the Wheel of Fortune crowds. Pathetic. <laughs> oh, it's so much better than the way I said it. Andy. <laughs> no, I, I want to put it another way: the U.S. team this year at, at Metropolitan. I mean, the world. They're going to be awesome teams at the mm. World Cup. They just are. Well, I don't care. The U.S. doesn't play. We're still going to have an awesome team. Of course, they could well have a team that looks like. Jimmy Walker and Daniel Berger. Who knows? I, right. I can caddy for Jimmy Walker and we can, we can get rid of the backstopping. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, let's, let's make that happen. Yeah, yeah. let's get on to that. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that could be the American team. By, you know, it could be any, any combination. Does but Daniel Berger made a cut for about 18 No, he hasn't. He's in terrible now. He goes, right, is he? Daniel he did. He, he was a President's Cup player last year. He's fallen right. in a hole, though, hasn't he, yeah, Daniel Berger? he hasn't gone well. But right. I'm just making an example yeah, here. yeah, yeah. You are an editor or something of a sports uh, section in in um, the United States, and you've got a choice of you send the two or three lone golf riders there are in the world of golf these days to a to a job. Are you sending them to Metropolitan in Melbourne for you know ten thousand a pop for the week, or are you just going to pop them on a plane to Las Vegas and get far more interest in terms of um, you know hits and clicks and all that rubbish? Uh, it, it, it's a no brainer. They're sending their, all their staff to Las Vegas for a Mickey Mouse 18 holes that has no relevance at all. Meanwhile, the poor Antipodean outcast over here gets just, you know what, on from a great height. Uh, it, it's, it's Seriously, it's embarrassing for global golf. It is embarrassing. Now, when you consider how much Daniel Andrews and the government here have contributed to the pockets of the US Tour by... Oh. purchasing the World Cup and the President's Cup. They, they don't come cheap, those things. That's multi-millions of dollars to buy those events. And they're great events to have, but you know, you would think you would have... And anyway. which, whichever event the PGA or the Australian Open is scheduled to run before the President's Cup will be now have its... I mean, there might still be some American players who don't go to the Bahamas. Who knows? But realistically now, you're looking at the international team. And as good a players as they are, the couple of the Korean guys and Japanese guys aren't going to tick the turnstiles and create the headlines right now. Maybe Matsuyama does. Mm. Um, maybe mm. Ben Ahn does by that time. I don't know. But it's not ticking the turnstiles like a um, Fowler or you know, anyone like that. So, you know, pretty gut-wrenching. for If it was a fair income tour event, I could suck it up. But these things could be played any time. They could be played on a on a Monday. They could go and play that thing on a Monday before the PGA Championship. <laughs> Who would give a stuff about that? Seriously. <laughs> Just on Daniel Berger, uh, he's teed it up 16 times in 2018. One top 10, three missed cuts. The top 10 was a tie for six at the US Open. So he's going okay. He's playing right. He, he, well, he's not going great. What's he made? Two million bucks? He's probably made a lot of them. Well, <laughs> yeah, he would have, how much would he made for finishing six in the US Open? Oh, he would have made 200, 300. Yeah, so that's a pretty good result. That's a pretty good right. result. So while we're talking about the US Open, and well said, you two, with the help of Peter Thompson, um, we have got the US PGA Championship on our doorstep as we sit here now. You're probably listening to it off a lot of you on a Saturday morning, so it's underway. Tell us about the golf course. You've already mentioned it on the way through, talking to Dave Nicolosi. Tell us about this track. Well, again, I've never played it, and I've got not much interest in seeing it. It was a 1960 Robert Trent Jones track course where... A big wig in the USGA, I think, was the president at the club or a big wig at the club who was the president of the USGA. And he managed to pull the US Open, the 1965 US Open. So a five-year-old course, of course, with no history. Uh, Dan Jenkins called it called it his least memorable US Open. Nicholas finished 32nd and Arnold Palmer missed the cut. Gary Player beat 
Kelnagel in a playoff. But a you know a typical Trent Jones sixties course, no great architectural masterpiece. Uh, confirming that the US PGA is a long way behind the other three as the you know it's where the Australian Open was in in the nineteen eighty six before it went to Melbourne Park. So my tennis, view that was tennis he's referring to. Yeah, yeah. tennis. So my view is that, and it always ha- has been for a long time that. Every Olympic year, the PGA Championship should go around the world, and, and it would it would drag that championship up to the level of the other three, because it would garner some affection with people outside of America, because it surely doesn't have any now. I mean, it's a great field, probably the best field in the majors for the year. But does anyone really care about it like they care about either of the Opens or the Masters? No, it, no, it doesn't have anything close to the same interest levels or affection for it as that. What are the chances of that? What are, what are the what are the chances of it becoming the you know the PGA Championship of the world? What well, where, where it does move from? Well, one, I think the only chance it's got of ever being anything more than the fourth major is to get out of America once every four years and, and garner some affection for it around the world. I mean, people don't if you, if you compared the love. The average Chinese golf fan, Asian, Japanese, Australian golf fan has for the U.S. Masters via the U.S. PGA. It's like it's not even in the ballpark, yeah. not yeah. even not even in the conversation. But they could create an amazing amount of goodwill by by taking it around the world and and, and making it the games, you know, the world's major. Well, such is the nature of the world in which we live, though, Clates and Hazy. If it ha- if it doesn't happen in America, for a lot of people, it doesn't happen, and we are focusing, you know again, amongst everything else, this week on the U.S. women's amateur, also from a female amateur golf perspective. But we had a pretty spirited conversation about this off air a few <laughs> moments ago as well. I mean, it's not the most important amateur women's event going around on a global basis these days at all anymore, is it? Well, any amateur oh. event in Korea clearly has is highlighting the best amateur players in the game. We see them come down here every year for the Australian amateur, and they're amazing players. I mean, Hee-jin Choi, who won the Australian amateur at Yarra Yarra last year. Two years ago. Was, no, last year. Last year? 17? 17, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, I'm thinking two tournaments ago, yeah. She finished second in the US Open the same year. Hmm. Ten in the world right now. So, (laughs) you know, that's where the strength of women's golf is. The US women's amateur is kind of, well, you know, it's an okay (laughs) event, but. I, so I, I'm not quite that. I mean, I think, oh, yeah, there's a traditional aspect to it that yeah and, holds a bit of water. Yeah, and yeah. I think on a, a global scale, yeah. you know, that's the one that most of the women would like to win. Is it as high a class as the Korean amateur? Maybe not, but um, I don't think that diminishes its. What's the Australian appeal. representation like in it this year? Uh, so as we record this now on a Tuesday afternoon, Stephanie Bunky from Melbourne and Sophie Yip from Sydney are flying the flag, and they both shot a nice seventy-one even par um, at the t- Golf Club of Tennessee. Um, another one that's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you heard Clates then, but um, seventy-one even par for Steph and Sophie shot a, um, a seventy. Sorry. Se- yeah, 72, one over. So they're both inside the cut line as we speak. Hopefully, by the time people listen to this, they'll still be alive in the mm. match play. Okay. Um, look, we're running out of time. We probably need to get a reel on here. Uh, <laughs> anything else before we get to the general housekeeping duties that uh, you perform so brilliantly on a weekly basis, Hazy? I just mentioned um, a couple of weeks ago, Andy, the, the Australian team to head off to the World Deaf Golf Championships. And mm-hmm. as I scurry through my phone to find all the winners, I just wanted to report that from the same Carton House course that... Um, is the host of the Eisenhower Trophy and the Espirito Santo coming up in Ireland. The Australian men's team is the world champion, which I think it's is fantastic. absolutely fantastic. Oh, and and I, yep. I should have had this up earlier. The women's team was also extremely credible and finished third, I think, from memory. Um, some outstanding individual performances. If you keep talking, by the time you come back to me, I'll have them in for you. And who was the deaf kid? No, the kid, he was 31, who finished third in the Porsche Open on the European Tour. Two oh, yeah, the German bloke. Yeah. Cameron, uh, Cameron uh, um, Jean, something, something John. Yeah, 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 incredible story. This, uh, yeah, I think his name was John. So am I getting that right? I think I am. I'm pretty sure I'm getting it right. So this is a phenomenal uh, story. It, it, it's, it's incredible how many, how 
good these guys and girls are. I mean, there's a lot of handicaps that are plus handicaps, and um, you know, it, it's there's no there's no reason why they shouldn't be competing at that level. I mean, no, know, of course not. They're they're no. phenomenal golfers. Um, all all six men of the Australian team were in the top twenty five of the individual competition, which I think is you know a, a staggering achievement on a global scale. Um, uh, the women's team. Uh, they finished runner-up to to the German team, and also um, the the. I'm just trying to find this, Andy. I'm sorry for no. for, for stammering over this. <laughs> How uh, many majors would Colin Montgomery have won if he'd been deaf? <laughs> he would have, to, would have had to won six or eight, wouldn't he? Because explain that. <laughs> well, he, he, he would have the, heard people putting him off. Ah, oh, someone else's fault for a bad was swing. Bird, his that's gold. <laughs> was a, was a bird Someone da- tooted uh, a horn three suburbs away. Was it Bernard Darwin who wrote about the golfer who was uh, upset by the flock of butterflies <laughs> taking off in the adjoining field. Yeah. Alan John, by the way. Alan, Alan John. Alan John, John was second in the yeah, por- yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. German kid, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's 31. I yeah, think he'd well, yeah. been a pro and got his amateur status back. And Yeah, yeah. I'd never heard of the bloke, but he bobbed up a couple of weeks ago, as you'd rightly say. So. Yeah. Thank you both there for you covering for me. Jack McLeod, who's a member of Bonnie Doon in Sydney, was the, he was runner-up right. in an individual okay, men's title. So, fantastic achievement. And sorry for my complete lack of no, research. No, it gave us a chance to lay the boots into Colin Montgomery, <laughs> which we don't do nearly often enough. In fact, most golfers would play better if they were deaf, I think, wouldn't they? Hey, I've got a nomination for our... Um, sure, that's a very good point. Um, or you could turn your brain off. If you turn your brain off when you play golf, you'd be a much better player. Yeah, you would. Yeah, be. by and large. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put. I know you tipped her, Hazy, uh, to win the uh, U.S. British Open. The Women's British Open. What did I just say? The U.S. Women. US I've got no idea what I'm saying. I'm typing her name <laughs> and putting her in there as I'm talking to you. Carlotta Saganda. You put going her in. in. She's going in. Was she tied for eighth? Was she eighth or eleventh? Yeah. She was yeah. in the I'm surprised she actually not, finished. And he's not because... speaking about her in glowing terms. He's, he's making a deposit into the into the Roger Bannister memorial. Oh, Roger Bannister. She was tied for oh. seventh. Yeah. Oh my God. She. You know she's got. I don't know. I think she might have some issues putting, but it is exacerbated by the fact that she is a line the ball up player, and she wants to line that up with the line that she wants to hit the putt, and then she got the line on the back of her putter, and a whole lot of things she needs to work out. There was, if you were watching it on the Friday night, so that'd be the second round. Yeah. She walked away from a seven footer, I reckon, six times. Over it, line Jim, it up, Jim walk Furyk, away. Yeah. Over it, line it up, walk away. If you're getting bored listening to me talk about it, you should have been watching it and you would have been poking. If you had a sharp object, you'd have been driving it in your eyeball. It was so excruciating. <laughs> Watching it, it was, and then she still missed the putt. Like she didn't even touch the hole. Well, she still missed the putt. Going back to what we were talking about, the U.S. Women's Amateur and the, the leading American players in the Women's Open, Jade Marie Green and Brittany Altamore, tied for fifteenth. Well, there you go. Two players in the top twenty in the you know, Americans. Two how Americans many, in the Koreans, top. 20. How many Koreans were there? Wow. There was a lot. That's the answer to that question. England, Thailand, Korea, Korea, Thailand, Japan, China, Spain, China, Australia, Korea, Thailand, New Zealand, Canada. That's a a a great spread, isn't it? That's a top 11. That's great. And America, Australia, America, Taiwan, Korea, Korea, Sweden, India, and Rhino Tool. Puts a bit USA. Of a, puts a bit of a dampener on the Solheim Cup. Yeah, <laughs> followed by a German. Yes. So it's short. Yeah, it's short does. Well, we, you know, some point I, then, some point there needs to be the rest of the world against Korea. Of course, well, that, that's the true Solheim Cup. That's what it should be. Mm. That'd be a fair fight. It's it's unthinkable that you we don't have an international team in the team side. It's only women's golf. Oh, no, 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 the international crowns are terrific event. It is, but it's an individual country thing, not a regional thing. Yeah, so, you know, it's but, not... but th- that's a that's a bigger event than the Solheim Cup. In fact, it will be in Can't wait. Korea this year. I mean, the crowds will be massive at Jack Nicholas Course in Incheon. In Incheon, yeah, that's a great event. So, uh, look, we're done. Um, unless there's any other late breaking up. Just, just remember know. golf.org.au forward slash play nine. Oh, yeah, of course. Play at the Australian Open. Play at the Open at Portrush next year if you're good enough. And it's just 
Where's to, Port Rush in your best? Where does it sit? Never top played there, but I th- I've played Royal County down, right? Which is in my, well, the, the top ten are all as good as each other. So everyone who's played Port Rush say it's as good as County Down. So, so if, if it's as good as County Down, it's a top ten in the world. Yeah. Okay, there you go. What a great opportunity! Oh, awesome. Subscribe to the show. Um, it's pretty easy to do. If you're listening to the podcast, you've got it from somewhere. You just go to that place and you hit the button that says subscribe, and then it just is delivered. It to happens. You. It's ha- it happens. I'm sorry for my language, Andy. Don't apologise. We love passion. We encourage passion here on Inside yeah, the Road. It just gets the better of me sometimes. No, no, Hazy, we wouldn't uh, have you any other way. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Go and have a beverage. Thank you. Uh, Clates, don't be a stranger. Sorry, well, I've got one more thing to throw into the mix. Clates is sitting there with a pile of books so we can quote um, Tomo at us, but he's got one over there that's he's contributed to greatly, which we, it's remiss of us not to have asked him about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. So Clates, to, can, you, can you pick yeah, that up? I'm sorry so I can book. tell the, oh, that, t- the title. It's a fan. Uh, prefer- I've got to start reading. Preferred Lies, yeah. yeah. So, preferred Lies, and you're a contributor to that book. Yeah, Charlie Happel, me, Steve Williams, John Hagen, Peter Thompson, Andrew Thompson, Peter who was here the other day. Uh, son of. Richard Allen, yeah. son of, yeah. Um, Kathy yeah. Shearer. Kathy, Kathy Shearer's got the best line. Kathy Shearer has the best line <laughs> in the book. Of, speaking of swearing, which we're not allowed to do. In the book. But uh, it is. It's this. Uh, yeah. Clates is about to find one that isn't swearing, but it's about the, uh, the the butcher, I assume. I'm talking to the butcher, not the block, yeah. <laughs> just, which she said to... Tiger. Tiger. Tiger Woods, yeah. Tiger Woods is manager. You have to you have and to read some of that. That is just gold. It, yeah. no, that is gold. How did he take that? How did, he was, he how did was, Stein he take he it? Was pretty, Tiger was pretty good. Yeah. Kathy said, to, to paraphrase what she, the manager, Tiger didn't want to do a press conference. I don't effing have to. And so Kathy, as she did, got the hump with that. Kathy's, Kathy's tough. And the manager stuck his head in and she said, I'm not effing talking to you. I'm talking to the butcher, not the block. And you can eff off. <laughs> and no one talks to Mark Steinberg like that except Kathy Shearer. And so Tiger dutifully went off and did what he didn't effing have to and did the, and did the press conference. That's fantastic. And he's done one every time subsequent that he's yeah. been in Australia. Preferred Lies is the book. Uh, it's a ripper. And In fact, Tiger was introduced to Bob Shearer at the President's Cup and he said, you're not related to Kathy Shearer. He said, yeah, she's my wife. She said, you're a hell of a man. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Kathy, for those who don't know Kathy Shearer, she is a absolute legend. She is. She really legend. is. And she looks after all of us extremely well. Uh, that's it. We're done. This has been Inside the Ropes, episode 55. I suspect there's been something in there for everybody. If not, <laughs> you're, you're not trying. You're not trying nearly hard enough. Uh, we're done. Uh, hopefully, the Broadcasting Commission allows us to be back next week. We'll, um, if so, we'll see you then. Bye for now.